I totally appreciate it. Now, kids, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be talking a little bit about the book of Psalms, but right before we get into that, I got to talk to these folks out here, the ones that brought you, and I want to have them learn a little bit from you, all right? So I'm going to be talking about you here in a moment. All right, so all of us, here's what we realized. We had a bunch of kids come up front and they worshiped. We learned at least three key lessons that are heavily biblical that we need to let soak into our spirit. The first one is this. What do you observe when you see kids worship? The first thing that I see is the element of joy. The Bible says, and Psalms is full of it, Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Actually, what that means is to be excited and exuberant about things. And here's the problem. That all starts getting diminished because we allow the weight of this world and the concerns of this world to weigh so heavily on us. We can't rejoice anymore. But Jesus said, my joy is to be in you and that your joy would be full. It even talks about the idea of overflowing. Now, when kids worship, they actually enjoy it. They sing songs and they laugh and they have a blast. So kids, let me ask you, do you guys like singing? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys like dancing? Yeah. Do you guys like wiggling around and hanging out with your friends? All right then. Now, adults, Okay, we got to learn something there, right? Now, when's the last time you walked into the music portion and you were so lost in it and so excited and having so much fun and you actually looked over at a friend or at your spouse and went, man, this is awesome. And when's the last time you did that? I mean, that's happening all the time with the kids. Where did we lose that? Why is that no longer a part of our hearts? Second thing that you'll notice about them is that kids worship with abandon. They will do some pretty wild stuff. They will do some pretty crazy things. Do you all remember when Casey, one of the guys that leads us in worship, came up here and preached about the two women that anointed Jesus? Do you remember that? Where that woman fell down before everyone, broke a very expensive jar of perfume, wiped his feet with her hair. She was all in. Where is that in us? When's the last time we went through a singing worship time? You were so lost in Jesus, it was hard for you to even realize it was over. You opened up your eyes and it was done. And we're already talking about Bible stuff. And you don't even remember where the time went. The third thing that you'll notice about kids when they worship is it's authentic. It's real. How do we know that? Because I do a lot of weddings. I'm probably into the 90s now in terms of how many weddings I've done. And what I have realized is that usually kids are involved in weddings. And I found out that when you have them walk down the aisle, and allegedly they're supposed to throw petals down on the ground, very few of them ever complete the task. Why? Because when a kid goes down the aisle and starts throwing out petals and realizes this is kind of a lame concept, they bail out. All right? Because the whole idea is they're thinking, I've got a better idea. I want to do something else. So if kids are going to do something, unless they're forced to do it, almost always they mean it. Kids, when you worship Jesus, you worship Jesus because you love him, right? And you sing about him because you're excited about him, right? Why are we doing it, adults? Are we singing it because that's what you're supposed to do? Are we doing it for any other reason? Are our mouths and our hearts connected? See, when they do it, it's authentic. They mean it. They own it. Here's the sad thing. 
for us. And I'm basically talking to anyone that's about nine years old and older. Right around nine years old. I know, hold on, I know, hold on, hold on. Trust me, you don't want to be in this group. When we start hitting around nine-ish, we start worrying about what other people think about us, and we start pulling back. And we slide back into this, I'm too cool to do that thing. And we stop being honest and open and crazy for Jesus. And we start realizing, oh, I got to be sit back and play the cool role. All right, let me just ask you this. Let's say you win us over. Let's say you're cool, right? You don't do that stuff. You don't do the crazy zany stuff and you don't jump up and down and you don't spin around and you are cool. All right, great. Now what? All right, good. I think you're cool. What'd you lose? What'd it cost you? Okay, so your joy got pulled right out of you, but you're cool. It doesn't buy us what we'd want it to buy us. We lose a childlike quality when we get older, and that's not acceptable. As a matter of fact, Jesus, two separate times, at least in his ministry, he asked all the adults to hold on for a second and brought a child in, and he said, And I quote in Matthew's account, he said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Mark records another incident and he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does that mean? I know what it can't mean. It can't mean immaturity, bad decisions, right? The Bible already talks about that stuff. So what does it mean? Every time it's addressed, it talks about getting rid of the I know it all resistance. Here's what's intriguing. Kids, let me ask you a quick question. Do you know the rest of this line? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the... Do you believe that? Yeah. Adults? Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? Because the Bible told me so. Children are childlike because they take people at their word. You go, that's foolish. Is it? What if they're trustworthy? You have so many defense mechanisms up, you won't accept it from God. You will overanalyze, you will overthink it, you will completely twist it out until it has no meaning to you. Unless we receive Jesus at his word and stop overthinking it and overanalyzing it and beating it to death. Until... We become like them, and when our Father says, I will care for you, and we believe Him, until we do that, we're not going anywhere. You know, it's intriguing because so many of us sit back and justify ourselves by saying this. Well, of course the kids can laugh and dance and play and spin around. They have no idea that the economy is completely destroyed. They don't realize that retirement is rapidly approaching and my 401k is sunk. 
So yeah, if I didn't have any of those concerns, I would jump around too. So what you're saying is, they don't know enough. You sure? Because I think that they know more than you think they know. Because when their mommy tells them that she'll care for them, they believe her. If they're worried, you end up telling them things like, let's pray about it. Jesus will protect you. But you don't believe that for you. You sure that they don't know enough or do they know more than you know? Do they know that if Jesus said he'll do it, that he's going to do it? And they take, they take great comfort in that. Yeah. Because it literally, here's how the conversation would go. If you walked up and talked to them and said, well, you need to understand how bad the economy is. They would say, but you told me that Jesus was going to take care of us. So what's your problem? It's pretty fair. All right, let me transition here. Kids, let me tell you a little bit of a story, and y'all can listen in too. I want to talk about stains. You guys ever got stains in your clothes? Yeah, does mommy and daddy get mad about that? Yeah, sometimes, all right. Uh, now, sometimes you could be eating with you know, ketchup or mustard or whatever and falls on your clothes, and you get a stain in there. So I want to talk about stains for a second. There are good stains, and there are bad stains. All right, so let's talk about good stains for a moment. Now, in order to understand this story, I have to explain a little bit about some of you and what's going to happen later on. I know it's going to be really, really weird for you, okay? So you guys got to follow with me. When you grow up, some of you are going to get married. I know, it sounds totally weird. I know, huh? Like the boys, sometimes you'll get a wife, and then girls, sometimes you'll get a husband. I know, that whole thing is totally weird. But it's kind of like mom and dad, right? And then you end up getting a wife. Now, sometimes it's your wife's birthday, like today, and you went out of the house and didn't even wish her happy birthday. Oh, awkward, huh? Yeah, that's what I did today. Now then. Now, granted, let's even out the task here for a moment. Now, sometimes when you get older... And you have a wife. So let me, I'm going to talk to the boys here for a moment. When you get a wife, sometimes the, she has a whole bunch of ideas about how the house should look. She sees a whole bunch of stuff that's not done yet. And you don't see it. You never see it. And then she asks you to do something about it, right? Now, sometimes she even has a whole list that she puts on the fridge. Right, right. Okay, well, one of the things that she had me do, you guys, was pretty wild. She wanted me to redecorate our whole entire kitchen. Now, it's wood. So what I had to do is the way that you color wood to make it a different color is you either paint it or you stain it. Now, what I had to do was take down all the cupboards and everything, take everything out of the kitchen, take off all the old color. It took weeks and weeks, right? And then I restained it. And what that means is you can take stuff that's like paint, put it on wood, and if you let it soak in, it makes it darker. So I made it this really rich color, and it was, I worked on it really, really hard. And she said it looked awesome, but two years later, she painted over it anyway. I know. (laughs) 
It sounds like you're following me on this one. <laughs> They're listening, all right? Now, now, here's the thing. Now, that's a good kind of staining. And here's the rules of staining. That if you want the wood to be super dark, you've got to put it on and leave it there and let it soak in, right? Kind of like a plant. If you water a plant a little bit, the water doesn't sink in until a little bit later. Right? So the longer you let the stain sit on there, it gets darker and darker and darker. If you wipe it off real fast, it doesn't get dark at all. Alright? So that's, that's the good kind of stains. Let's talk about the bad kind of stains. I have a dog named Sammy. Alright? Now my dog Sammy, it's actually a girl. Her name is Samantha. Now in doggy years, she's really old. I've had her for a really long time. She's up into the high 90s. She's probably about 98 years old, okay? So she is a doggy that's been around with me for a long time. She sleeps on my bed every night, right? And she's having a hard time getting around now, right? So here's the part that I think you'll find interesting. My doggy, whenever she eats, sometimes her tummy doesn't like it, and she barfs on my floor. Gross, I know. Now, what she does, I used to have a lot of carpet in the house. Now, if doggy barks on the carpet, your wife asks you to clean it up really fast. You got to get in there and scoop that stuff out of there, and it's just gross. You get all that barf out of there. Now, if you, let's say you're gone and nobody saw that the doggy barfed, then it sits there for a really long time, and it stains your carpet. So even when you go back in and you're trying to clean it up, there's still a weird-looking color on the carpet. Those are called bad stains. The fill in the blank in front of you on your sheet is this. What surrounds us stains us, both for good and bad. What surrounds us stains us. What you will find, kids, is that the Bible talks about what influences us, what is around us, the friends that we hang out impact us a lot. When we go to church, it impacts us a lot. When we listen to our moms and dad, it impacts us a lot. When we do bad stuff, it affects us a lot. Adults, it's the same with us. What's intriguing is that most of these little ones right here, they have accountability. You're always telling them, don't do that, that's not good for you. You're always telling them, you should eat this, this is better for you. You're telling them you should go to bed because even though you don't feel sleepy, you need the rest. But who's telling that to you? Because you don't have any accountability anymore. It's all on you. Do those rules no longer apply then? When you worry about who they're hanging out with, but don't worry about who you're hanging out with, what does that say? I know we think we grow out of that, but we don't. What surrounds us stains us. And the longer it sits, the deeper the stain. When we go to church and we soak in the word of God and we soak in the worship of his name, that stains us for good. When we go and live in the world much more than we ever live with Jesus, that stains us for bad. We have to watch our influences, our intake, the people that we value and role model. Because all these things affect us. Do you realize that they may be kids in body? We're just kids 
in bigger bodies. No matter how old we get, we're still kids in our heads. And we're still learning and we're still growing and we're still open to influences. Now, kids, here, let me bring it back to you. I've been teaching the adults. I'm their teacher, right? You know, you all go to class and you guys all have great teachers. Well, I'm the adult's teacher, so that, this is our big classroom. Now, I've been teaching them through a bunch of different books of the Bible, and the book that I'm currently teaching them is called Psalms. A guy named David wrote most of the Psalms. It's one big book of songs. He writes all the music to it and the lyrics to it, right? Now, in that book... He has all different kinds of songs. There are good songs where, yay, Jesus, spin around, doing great, doing awesome. Then there's songs that are, I'm so sad, things aren't going very well, Jesus, help me. They're all realistic songs. Some tell you how to worship. This one tells you how to live. Real basic, real easy, real simple. He says, be careful who you spend your time with. Right? We can understand that. That's pretty straightforward. So we're going to read that book together. Would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1? It's page 383, and the Bible's handed to you. It's only six verses, so it should only take about an hour and a half. <laughs> Let me just read through it. Psalm 1, I'm going to read through it, and then I'll explain it. And kids, if I'm reading through this, feel free to keep coloring. But as I read through this, you may go, I don't understand it. I don't even understand those words. Those are weird. That's why I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to explain it to you. It's pretty simple, actually. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers, but not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's just do a simple prayer and ask Jesus to bless our time for the Bible. Heavenly Father, would you show us how to live? Teach us your heart and allow us to know you more. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. It begins with a very simple word called blessed. Blessed means happy. Or wow, that's really good for you. It means congratulations. Someone that should be congratulated. So if I was to describe this guy to you, I would say you should go up and congratulate him because things are going to go really well for him. Now, he may not feel that. We don't always feel blessed when we do the right thing, but that doesn't matter. Someone should still congratulate us because God is on our side. Let me give you an analogy. Any parents in the room? If you have kids, raise your hand. All right, huge amount of you. Do you remember what it's like to be a young parent? Do you remember what it's like the first week? You have no sleep, you feel like garbage, right? You're exhausted, you're wiped out, and everybody keeps coming up and congratulating you. You have a new baby, that's awesome. You're like, not really, not right now. But you're blessed because people have a perspective that's outside of you that they know what a blessing kids are going to be. And they know that that is only temporary. Blessed. The same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that thirst. Blessed are... Do you remember that? They don't feel like it at the time, but you should congratulate them because God is on their side. Blessed is what type of man? Is the man who does not walk, that means living your life, Blessed is a man who doesn't live his life or be influenced by the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, or the seat of mockers. Now, some people see it progressive from a little bit of influence to totally involved, but let me tell you this. We have to be very careful about who we allow to influence our lives. Not everybody loves Jesus. Not everybody takes him seriously. Not everybody thinks he's real. Not everybody cares. And sometimes, adults, the majority of your influences are people that just don't care. If you look at the word wicked in the Hebrew, it has a variety of meanings. It doesn't just mean people that do bad things. It means people that don't live like God exists. Think that affects you? Of course it does. Their mindset's different. The way they believe is different. The choices they make is different. The values they hold are different. All those things matter. Blessed is the man that does not allow that type of influence to surround him and soak in him. Be very careful who your friends are. Be very careful what songs you listen to. What TV shows you watch. Why? Because it's changing you. How do I know that? Because it's changing me. Because it's a big deal in my world. I live in the same world you live in. And I'm affected by all the garbage I allow in my head. It says, but his delight, what makes this guy super excited, is the law of the Lord. What's that mean? It means anything that Jesus tells us to do. But what makes a good guy really excited is how he soaks in the Bible and how he learns from the Bible how he understands the Bible. And it says, and on the Bible, and on the instruction of the Lord, he meditates day and night. You know what that word in Hebrew means to meditate on? It actually means to murmur. Raise your hand if you talk to yourself when no one's around. That's right. Huge percentage of you. All right. That's the word in Hebrew. It means to murmur, to talk under your breath. It's that same thing of, where did I leave this? I can't believe I don't know where my keys are. Blah, 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 blah. That's what you're doing walking in your house. You're meditating on the fact that you lost your keys. What we do is we don't just listen to God's word and say, oh, that was neat. What a great message. Oh, that was funny. What we say is, what does that mean for me? And we chew on it and talk about it and think about it and learn from it. And what we do is we say to ourselves, Jesus, what are you telling me? What do you want me to change? What type of person do you want me to be? How do you want me to live? 
This is what we are to do with God's word and God's law. Some of us, we soak in it to such a degree as you memorize it and allow it to spin through your mind over and over and over again. So it soaks in and begins to change your worldview and your reality. You see, that's the power of God's word. It puts you finally into a functional environment and out of a dysfunctional world. The more time you spend in the functional world of the Bible, the healthier you become to get out of the dysfunctional chaos that seems to be everywhere down here. He, this guy that does the right things, is like a tree planted by streams of water or canals of water or access to water. In a dry desert, all plants need water. We know that. So kids, you tell me this. It's super simple. What happens if you don't water a plant? Well, that seems pretty obvious. Christians, what happens if you don't read the word of God? You're too busy. I get it. Okay. You go to church. Oh, because that will fix it, right? No. Thank you. They're listening. I'll tell you that. Here's the thing. We need to be connected to water. We live in a dry world. We need to be connected to water. We did not just happen there. If we said, yes, Jesus, save me. If we said, I want to be a Christian. If we said, Jesus, I love you more than anything. If we surrender our hearts to God, then we are children of God. And if that is the case, we must always draw our power from him. We must always draw our life from him. We have to be connected to him. Yet we are living our lives, adults, completely disconnected and we have a million reasons why and then we complain about the symptoms of being spiritually malnourished what happens to a plant if it doesn't get water it dies it goes bye-bye what happens to a christian that does not remain in the word of god we starve ourselves out it's just not gonna work it's just not like that. I know all the reasons why you don't. But you're hurting yourself. He is like a tree planted where water streams to. And then it says, which yields its fruit in its season. Another question for you kids. This is a pretty simple one. What kind of tree, uh, what kind of fruit does an apple tree make? Apples. What happens if it makes oranges? It's an orange tree what about pears it would be a pear tree the tree is supposed to make the fruit that goes along with it right that's just simple what if an apple tree made oranges it wouldn't be an apple tree it'd be an orange tree right that only makes sense so why is it adults that we say we are a christian tree but the fruit of our mouth is hatred, bitterness, gossip, jealousy. Where's that fruit coming from? You're going to still call yourself a Christian tree. You're going to keep saying that you're rooted in the Lord. And yet your fruit that's coming out of you doesn't match up whatsoever. There's little to no fruit coming out. Why is that? Because according to what the kids just told us, you might not be that kind of tree. You might be a different sort of tree. 
Warren Wiersbe, famous pastor, said, you don't get any fruit without roots. If your roots aren't right, your fruit's not right. We got to watch the roots. Here's what's intriguing. We as adults, we, t- we work with all the symptoms on the outside. We keep trying to treat the leaves, but we should all know that plants drink from the bottom, from the root system. If there's something broken, it's broken in the root place. It's broken underneath. And it has to do with our influences and what we're living in and what we're soaking in and what we're learning from. Stop treating the symptoms on the outside. Well, I don't understand why I don't pray more. Well, I don't understand why I don't want to read the Bible anymore. I better treat those symptoms and buckle down. Really? Doesn't that sound like you're putting a band-aid on the problem? What if you went to the root issue? Why don't you want to? Why do you have no interest in prayer? What's wrong at the core? It's pretty simple. But we make it very complicated. It says... The fruit is yield in season. Quick question. If you plant a seed today, are you immediately going to have fruit tomorrow? No, it takes a long time. And what you plant, if you've ever seen a seed, seeds are little and they're weird looking, but the fruit looks awesome and big. What you plant isn't always what comes out. So when you give of your time and resources to God and you're always looking for kickback in time and resources, that's not going to happen. What you're going to get from it is far greater, but it's not going to look like what you put in. God knows what you need. It says his leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. We immediately read that and assume we're going to get more stuff. No, you're not. But you're going to grow healthy. But you're going to produce the fruit of the Lord. What do we know about the fruit of the Lord? It's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right there. You're coloring love right on your sheet. Why aren't these things naturally flowing out of us? We're always shocked when we don't have patience. That's a fruit of the spirit. It actually is supposed to come out naturally. Why isn't it coming out naturally? It says... But if the righteous man is strong and powerful and rooted in the Lord, not so the wicked. Remember those that aren't just super bad, but the ones that don't care about God at all. They are like chaff that is the wind blows away. All right, kids. So here's how it looks. The way they used to do this, and they still kind of do this, but that they would, you know, all the stuff that you eat cereal with, those are called grains and stuff like that. All your cereal is kind of made out of these things, unless you eat like Cocoa Puffs. Those aren't made out of anything but sugar. All right. Now, the grains, the way they work is that they would grow up like weeds. As you look at all these weeds, then they would cut them down, put them in a big pile, take a huge fork called a pitchfork. They would stick at, first of all, they'd they'd jump on it and stamp on it and have cows walk on it and crush it all up into bits. And then all the grains would fall to the ground. They scoop up the wheat and they throw it in the air when the wind is going. And it blows away all the bad stuff and all the grains fall to the ground and they scoop those up and make bread out of them and eat them but you scoop it up and you throw it in the air and the wind blows away the bad stuff it says those of us that live for jesus are like the good grains that fall on the ground and are scooped up to be used by god but the bad guys no matter how fancy they look they get blown away in the wind adults 
At some point, you have to own that. At some point, you have to believe that no matter how fancy the wicked look, they're not going to last. You're buying their advertising. Give you a quick example. Do you realize that the tomatoes that you buy in the store are spray treated to turn red? So you'll buy them. Do you understand? They're not red yet. They're green, but they're sprayed to turn red just so you'll buy them. They're not ripe. They're not ready, but nobody ever buys green tomatoes. So they spray them with chemicals to turn them red. That's why you'll pick them up. So you go, well, this one looks healthy. That's weird. I cut into it. It's not ready yet. No, of course it's not. You bought the advertising. Everything in our world is about advertising. What this passage says in the Bible is no matter how successful the wicked look, no matter how much it looks like they're getting everything they want, they're not going to last because it's not real. It's not deep. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You know what that means? It means that before Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bad guys have to bow down before Jesus sometime. And then it closes with this. For Yahweh, the Lord, watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Kids, do you realize that Jesus watches over you to keep you safe when you sleep? Do you realize that at all times God knows where you're at? He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're about to say. That he knows what's going around the corner. Do you realize that Jesus is so concerned about you being healthy and thriving and happy? Do you realize that? And you know why? Because he loves you so much. He's against the enemy. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is a perfect question. She said, if there are sinners, then why did he make them? If he doesn't like them. That's a very honest question. Very fair. Let me answer that question. When God created us, he wanted to give us an opportunity to love him. Because he wants us to love him for real. Let's say that God made us and he said, the only thing you can do is love me. Wouldn't that make us a robot? And that's no fun if a robot says, I love you because you told me to say I love you. That doesn't feel good. There's got to be a choice, right? Because you have to decide. Now, whether or not if I walked up to you and I said, do you like me? And you said, of course I like you. You make me like you. Then I'd feel bad. But if I said, do you like me? And you have a choice not to like me, then I'm going to feel good in my heart. When God made us, he wanted us to love him for real. But in order for us to love him for real, there has to be an alternative. There has to be someone else that we could love. And it breaks the heart of God when we love someone other than God. That's what makes bad guys. Do you understand what's going on, adults? Yes, he loves us. Yes, he keeps us safe. Yes, he ministers to us. Yes, he wants to bless us, but there are alternatives out there and our heart is running to them. And it breaks the heart of God. But those which say, I love you, Lord, and I want to be with you, Lord, and you are my most important, Lord, and fall at his feet and say, save me, Jesus. 
he puts over in a special little category and says, I don't just watch over you, I protect you. Not always in the way that we want, but in the way that we need. I want to point this out. This is how much Jesus is on alert. I'm a heavy sleeper, but I'll tell you this. I will periodically throughout the night, if I hear any noise, I immediately look up and I look to the hallway. Why? Because my kids are down there. I have two little girls. In the middle of the night, if I ever hear a noise, I want to make sure there's no bad guys. Because if there's any bad guys, my immediate defense goes to protect my little girls. I'm not worried about myself at all. I'll take care of myself. I'm always interested as a good daddy to protect my little girls. God is like that, but he never sleeps. God watches all the time. And he watches over his little girls no matter how old they get. And he watches over his little boys no matter how old they get. And he's always on. And he's keeping an eye out for you. He's not concerned about himself. He'll take care of himself. But he's always concerned about you. He wants to bless you. But when we run after other things and allow other things to steal our mind and get us off track, it takes us out of the blessings of God. So let me close this. Some of you remember this in kids when my dad was younger. They used to have black and white TV and movies. And in the old movies, you could always tell in the Western movies where the cowboys would ride horses, you could always tell who the good guys were because they always had white hats. The bad guys always had black hats. So every time you'd go in and see a Western, you're always hoping the white hat guys win. You want the good guys to win, not the bad guys. But nowadays, it's not that clear. You can never figure out who the good guys are or who the bad guys are. Everything seems so mixed up together. And unfortunately, adults, we've done the same thing with Christianity. Some of us are so lost as to what the church means, what Christianity means, what God is all about. We get so confused and so lost. Maybe for one weekend we can become like the heart of a child and simplify it all down. So kids, I want to give you an encouragement. If there's ever been a time in your life when stuff's going on you don't know what to do. Let's say some of the kids in your school are doing something bad. And you go, I don't know what I should do about it. I want to give you a line to memorize. It's a line that helped me a long time ago with someone that taught me. He said, when you don't know what to do, do what you know. When you don't know what to do, do what you know. If you know what your mommy told you to do, go with that. If you know that you shouldn't do that bad thing, don't do it. It's not quite as complicated as we make it for the rest of you. There's some times when we get so complicated when we don't know all the right answers. I don't know how I'm going to answer my friend. What if he asks me a question and I don't know the answer to? How am I going to share Jesus? What am I going to do about this? I can't solve this. I can't solve that. You know what? When you don't know what to do, do what you know. You guys, I deal with so many complicated things in the Bible. I handle so many questions and do so much debate and figure out so many things that sometimes I lose sight on what's really important. And that's when I have to fall back to the basics and do what I know. I may not know how to answer everything right, but you know what I do know? 
I know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you nail those two down, it says all the law and the prophets hang on those. Every preacher that has ever preached, every sermon that's ever been preached, on TV, worldwide, all over the net, all preachers are saying the same thing, hopefully. Now, granted, it kind of ruins my job security to let you know that I'm teaching the same thing over and over and over again. However... It's always going to come back to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. When you don't know what else to do, you know you need to love. You know what to do. For today, maybe we can simplify our hearts and realize that walking with God just means doing what he says. Maybe today we can realize we need to say yes to him a whole lot more and no to our selfish demands. Maybe today we make it simple and realize, I probably shouldn't hang out with that person. They're a bad influence. Maybe today we can say, I need to pray more. Simple as that. Maybe today we need to stop doing the bad thing and start doing a good thing. And maybe today, instead of justifying all our actions and listing all our excuses, maybe today we simplify and just say, yes, Lord, you're right. I'm not so sure that growing up has been all that good for our health spiritually. I think if we got the core issues and the basic concepts down, we'd do a lot better. It'd give us a lot less room to wiggle around and justify our actions. Today, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let me close in prayer and we'll watch a short video. Heavenly Father, thank you for our precious little ones. Thank you for our precious middle ones. Thank you for our precious older ones. These are your creation. These are your children of all ages. And I pray right now that you'd help us to simplify and break it down in our mind and go back to the basics. And we just say, yes, Lord. I believe what my daddy tells me, and I'll follow that. Give us the heart of a child. In Jesus' name we pray.